Welcome to the CF Stories Podcast, where we take some time each week to get to know different members of Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth. Our community is filled with people from different walks of life, from doctors to teachers to business owners, who all have unique experiences to share. This is who we are, and these are our stories. Welcome, everyone, to this week's episode of CF Stories. And today you are going to hear the story of someone who is very near and dear to the Christ Fellowship community, but also to the community at large. We have Rosario Davidson, physician's assistant. She is going to share so much about her own personal story of how she entered the medical field, what she's seen as a PA, what she's experienced herself medically, and of course, what is legit, what's maybe not legit in the medical field. It's a fun time. It's a great time. This is her story. Here we are, everyone. Yes, here we are, the season finale of CF Stories, season one season finale and this i mean i can't ask for a better season finale who i'm sitting across from right now yes it's the one and the only t davidson yeah give it up for rosie hi rosie hi so welcome welcome this is your episode cf stories thank you for having me and oh it's our pleasure our pleasure to have you here so rosie we know you uh, are near and dear to all of us, but let's just start from the beginning. Can you just introduce yourself formally and explain your connection to Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth? So I'm Rosie Davidson, but uh, before I became Davidson, um, 13 years ago, I was uh, Rosie Cedeño. Um, so I came to Christ Fellowship uh, 24 years ago, I guess, um, at the start of it. And... Um, and obviously, uh, many of you may know that I'm Pastor Carlos's older sister, uh, even though I look younger. Um, <laughs> and uh, that's how I got connected to Christ Fellowship. Uh, I've been coming uh, here for the 24 years. Now, what, what, before Christ Fellowship, um, were you involved in church? Or uh, I know I've, I've, I've heard Pastor Carlos's testimony many times. Um, I haven't heard yours, though. So how did you come to Christ before Christ Fellowship? So we grew up um, in the Catholic faith. Uh, We would go to church every Sunday. Um, I was very much, you know, into going. We went to Catholic school. I went from fifth to high school to St. Mary's and Elizabeth. And um, we, I was 20, I guess 20 or 21 or so um, at the time. And then my brother was uh, 18 and um, many of you have heard his testimony. Uh, he was not um, walking, uh, you know, with God, obviously, and had um, did not want to go to church or get involved in anything regarding church. And there was a big disconnect in our household, um, not much of a relationship with him. Um, and once he came to the Lord, um, his 360... Um, God turned his life around and that was what 
blew me away. Um, I, you know, at first he, he was very much persistent, giving me tracks and telling me, come to church with me, come to church with me. And I'm like, please you used to talk about McDonald's, you know, during, during mass at the Catholic church. Um, you know, don't talk to me about God now, or don't try to tell me about church. Um, but I have to say that, you know, his transformation was the curiosity was killing me. I'm like, I have to know what it is that he found because it was different. Uh, and then I came, I came to church. Um, at the time it was a service at Calvary. Um, so it might've been more than 24 years, I guess it was in 1994 when I gave my life to, to Christ. Uh, so I had gone with him a couple of times, uh, to church and, um, the night that, you know, uh, I accepted the Lord was a night that, you know, I was, we were actually sleeping and, and my brother felt that the Lord, um, you know, wanted him to talk to me at that time. And we prayed together and that's the night that I accepted the Lord. Um, so that's pretty much how I, I came to the Lord. It's interesting. Cause, um, you know, you, you it's like someone else's testimony to you making your decision. And, you know, I mean, that's, that's almost, you can almost relate it to anything, right? You know, someone else's experience and things like that. But for you, it's a home experience. So it's your brother. Right. And right. his life change. Right. Finding life itself. And then you're looking at him thinking, wait a minute. Whoa, 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 whoa. whoa. How did that happen? Right. Because, I mean, I think the biggest difference is, too, that, you know, his friends at the time, you know, led him to, you know, lead a certain, you know, lifestyle and, you know, um, of disobedience and, you know, to my parents and everything else, but I wasn't like that. So it's not like I was kind of, you know, in that place at that time. Uh, so for me, um, his life changing, you know, testimony was all I needed to see. Like mm. it was just, you know, it blew me away. It really did. And, and since then, um, like, uh, you know, our relationship, you know, he's like, my best friend. Um, so we, you know, I got to develop a, a friendship with him that I, I never had as a teenager because we never got along <laughs> as teenagers. So, um, so that, that brought you closer together. Yes, absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. Like the church bond. The Not, church I mean, bond, obviously you're the family our, you know, our bond. faith. Right, right. Right. Definitely. And what, and for you, what, what changed the most when you gave your heart to Christ? So it's interesting. There were two things I was worried about. I was worried about, uh, not, you know, not listening to, uh, my music, my worldly music. Um, uh, and I remember clearly that my brother told me, don't worry about that. You know, whatever the Holy spirit wants to change in you, he will change. Uh, and it's not that I don't listen to music now. That's not Christian music, but it does nothing for me. So mm -hmm. most of the time that's what I listen to. Um, but, um, yeah, that's, that's one of the biggest examples I remember, um, from that experience. So giving your life to Christ and how old were you about 20, 21 around there? Okay. Okay. So at this point now, um, you know, we want to talk about your uh, professional life now tell everyone what your job is, what your day job is. So I'm a physician assistant. Um, a lot of people get it confused with medical assistant. Um, so it's, this profession is, it's a, um, master's level degree. Um, it's kind of, we're a step under a doctor where we can um, prescribe, diagnose, and treat patients. We can carry our own patient load, um, but we were trained in all the different medical areas. Um, and we are basically, you know, basically allowed to do anything that our, you know, 
supervising physician pretty much allows. Um, and I've been doing this, I've been in this field for 19 years. So, so 19 years as a physician's as assistant, a, as a PA. Yes. Mm-hmm. What led you to this career specifically? Now we're going to talk in depth about your experiences in this career, but let's just start with why you chose this path or how you were maybe guided into this. Where did it start? So it's interesting. A lot of people don't know this possibly about me, but I love art um, and I love design. Uh, my first uh, major at Kane, uh, I was the last graduating class at Kane College. Uh, so I was an interior design major. And one of my very good friends that I've known since fourth grade, uh, she said to me, what? Like, why do you want to go into design uh, or art? Like you can, you can do that on the side. You need to go into science. You'll never like lack a job. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> let's do that. Was that on like in your radar at all? Uh, no, no, not at all. Like, so when you were in school, you never liked science or not really, really? No, I never really liked science. You were artsy, um, art I was world. more art. Um, and, uh, I really, unfortunately, like, you know, our parents, didn't really go to college, um, didn't have much schooling. So I didn't, they didn't really know how to guide us, um, Mm. in that sense. So, you know, my friend, um, she came from a very, her parents were both teachers, like very different. Mm. So Mm -hmm. I kind of looked to her for advice and I didn't, I met the Lord during college. I had already started college. So when I came across this part, I didn't really know the Lord. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I was like, okay, let me, let me do that. And she was going to become a pharmacist. So I mm. was like, okay, uh, that sounds good. I'll become a pharmacist too. So I worked at Walgreens as a pharmacy tech and realized I hated it. Um, and I did not want to do that. So then um, I declared a chemistry major uh, because I wasn't sure what I was going to do. So halfway during college, during uh, undergrad, um, her brother also hated uh, pharmacy because he was going to do pharmacy as well. And he said to me, hey, I like came across this field because back then it wasn't as, you know, no, basically known as it is now. And he said, physician assistant, you should look it up. So I did. And um, and I, you know, love the idea of not going to school as long and still being able to, like, you know, diagnose and treat and and make a difference in patients lives. So um, I ended up graduating with a chemistry degree. And then, interestingly enough, when I graduated, I uh, had two choices of careers. I had a job offer at um, Hillside High School as a science teacher. Hmm. Um, And that would have saved me a lot of money (laughs) because I, you know, I didn't have much debt for my undergrad. I had like $2,000 worth of school loans and, and I would have had a job or, and at this point I know the Lord, by the way. So, um, or get into debt and go to PA school and pursue medicine. And after a lot of prayer and guidance, I thank God, um, that he made it clear to me, like what path to take. Uh, it was obvious. And, um, Thankfully, I, well, I graduated with a lot of school loans. Thank God they're paid for. But, um, <laughs> pray, pray them, pray them, so, pray them. yeah, so, um, and I absolutely love what I do. I cannot picture doing anything else. Um, I can't imagine um, not loving your job, you know, because I really don't know what that feels like. Thank God. So very thankful. And that's an interesting story because um, 
obviously people change their college college majors all the time. Right. You know, it's normal. That happens. Um, you know, I, I I did myself personally. Um, you know, I, I mean, most people go through either they commit to that, the the other major, or at least they have this moment of, well, is this really uh, the path I want to go to? But for you, um, it, I find it interesting. It wasn't on your radar. You weren't thinking about it. And because I, I can relate to that too, because it wasn't until, for me personally, it wasn't until a professor said, have you ever thought about being a teacher? And I was like, eh, yeah, maybe. Yeah. And then I just couldn't stop thinking about it. I couldn't stop thinking about it, thinking about it, thinking about it. And then eventually, through God's providence, just, you know, it came to me. I was like, all right, I got I to gotta pursue this path. And like you said, I mean, this this is, you know, part of who I am, obviously. But it's interesting that it's so interesting how things are not on the radar until someone else comes in and says, hey, you were. You know, let me show you this. Right. And it opens up this whole nother. Right. Completely everything. Different right. Place. And then now looking back, you're like, man, yeah, that's wow. Like if someone didn't come to me, you know, who knows? Right. 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 So that it would have been right. Oh, it's, it's always like that. And I think that's uh, I think that's an interesting part of how you have become a physician's assistant and how you have been able to engage with so many different people. And it all goes back to your friend who, you know, showed you this whole other world. Right. And, you know, here you are now. Right. Yeah. So where did you go to school for specifically the physician's assistant? I went to Mass College of Pharmacy and Health Sciences in Boston. So we were actually, a, um, it was a new program. Um, and I I applied. And uh, once I got in, I, I moved uh to Boston. I mean, it, it was very competitive then. Now it's like crazy competitive, but um, even God had a purpose for me to, to leave and to spend the, the four years that I did over there. Um, so he has a plan in every, you know, situation, which is so cool. Was it hard going there, leaving your family, going there? I mean, how did, how did that part feel? Especially because you said before how, you know, your family um, it wasn't in that sphere but you know you pursuing this were you did they support you and did they encourage you or was it kind of like hey, you know do your thing so you i know, think whatever. they were a little confused right mm -hmm. um they didn't understand what the career entailed or what it meant they had never i had actually never met a pa before mm. so now like now you have to shadow one uh to be able to become one because you can't even get into PA school without shadowing hours, okay. uh, which I think is very useful uh, because it, for me, it looked good on paper and I thank God that it worked out, but it's a scary thing to get into a career without, um, without knowing like what it, life as a PA would be like. Mm. So I was looking forward to it cause I was like 23, I guess, 23, 24 around there. And I just wanted a change. I, you know, I was living home and it was, you know, just the, the chance to leave. And it's not that I was dying to leave home or things weren't good at home, but I just was up for a, something different and a challenge, but not having my parents like full comprehension as to what I was doing was a little unsettling, mm -hmm. but, um, you know, it, it was fine. Uh, once we, you know, I went along with it, uh, everything turned out okay, but initially it was a little scary. But when you got there, did you find, uh, like, what did you find there? Did you have you been in that area or in that field? Because sometimes I know people are like, they feel like a fish out of water. 
you know, my parents don't know about this field or about that, you know, what this entails. And then you jump into the area and next thing you know, other people are like, oh, yeah, my uh, my dad is also a PA or my, you know, so-and-so. And you're like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I definitely, most of my classmates were, came from very different uh, backgrounds. Um, I think for me financially, it was very difficult. A year into PA school, I didn't have any money uh, left. And I was sitting in a financial aid office uh, with not very many choices to like be able to continue. And I just prayed and I was like, God, you know, if, if I am, you clearly told me this is where I need to be. So please, you know, make a way. Um, and I did, I got, you know, private loans for most of my, you know, my, my, um, degree, which is crazy because, you know, without co-signing, um, that's a little difficult. I was the only Hispanic uh, student in the class, which was interesting since uh, they wanted me to teach them Spanish <laughs> during <laughs> K school. I'm like, there's no time for that. Uh, and then I was, my roommate happened to be a freshman. Uh, that was a little challenging uh, because we were obviously at different points in our lives, even though I was only three or four years older. Uh, so then thankfully I met two amazing, uh, girls, uh, that are friends of mine till today. One who was from New Jersey and one from Boston, like from that area, uh, as far as living in Boston, amazing experience. One of my favorite cities. And, uh, I just felt like it opened up, uh, a lot for me as far as maturity, mm. independence. I learned how to cook and how to clean and have responsibilities, uh, I, I did a lot of growing and a lot of growing spiritually as well. Travel uh, tends there. to do that. You know, you get, get out yes. of uh, your main area and you see other parts of the world and you're like, all right, it's not, not all the same. Definitely. Definitely. So you go through school and you graduate. You're like, yay. It's great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. What was your first job? Or where was your first job? I, I should say it like that because your job is being a physician's assistant. But where was your first job? So my first job, I ended up starting, I, I graduated July of 2001, but I didn't start working till May of 2002. Uh, the reason being that when I first uh, graduated, I graduated in July of that year of 2001, and then my first patient, quote unquote, uh, was my dad. So he ended up having a pretty massive heart attack on September 30th of that year. Uh, he did see me graduate, which was amazing. And um, that that part of uh, my life, the timing of that was pretty unique uh, because he, we thought he was going to pass away that night. And I'm very grateful to God that he didn't. So for me, as a newly graduate, uh, seeing technically my first patient be my dad, even though I wasn't providing for him uh, health-wise, was very difficult. As I recall uh, being in the hospital and just seeing everything flash before me uh, textbook-wise, mm. um, mm -hmm. but watching it on my dad. Mm. Um, my brother and my mom are like, why are you crying? Why are you crying? And I'm looking at the EKG and it's, he's like actively having a heart attack. Mm. Uh, so, you know, ICU and everything else. And he made it through that. Uh, he had open heart surgery and, um, and basically those months up until uh, March 9th, when he ended up passing away from cardiogenic shock, 
which is basically the heart gives out uh, and doesn't want to pump anymore and blood pressure drops and you lose your pulse. And uh, that's so basically those months were I was I was reminded by a doctor in the ER, actually, that you're not the provider, you're the daughter, Mm. because Mm. I was having like an internal struggle mm-hmm. with, oh my goodness, are they doing everything that they're supposed to do? Am I missing something? Should I be, you know, suggesting something um, was quite challenging uh, emotionally uh, for me. Uh, but I thank God that I was able to care for him all those months. So, um, so he ended up passing away on March 9th of 2002. But then, oh, and then the other interesting thing is that I was scheduled to do to take my board exam, my national board exam on October. Never forget these dates. So he had his heart attack September 30th, had surgery on the 13th or 14th of October, something like that. And then I had my scheduled board exam on October 31st. Wow. So he kept saying, oh, you know, you, you need to study. You need to, you know, concentrate. And I got God was with me because I again, a lot of this information was fresh in my mind. but you know, talk about anxiety and stress, uh, watching him go through all this and having to study for a board exam, but he was able to see me pass that exam. Like I passed Mm. my board exam. Uh, I remember his joy to see me pass. Uh, and then by the time I got my licensing and my DEA and everything else, it takes time. So I, I didn't start applying for jobs until after he passed away. Um, so then I started working in May of that year. Well, so. see, seeing, because you have the knowledge, right? You have the knowledge, but then this is your father right? going through all of his medical things. And like you said, you're wondering, 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 was that really stressful for you? And because it, it's, it's personal and professional, right? Like molding together. Right. Is that a, that's the gotta be just a weird tension. Very, very weird tension. Uh, definitely. I was, looking up stuff. I was, I was, uh, you know, just wondering if they did, if they did things fast enough, did they, I I just, it was just a a struggle. It was a struggle, you know, but I I thank that doctor who told me that, who told me you're the daughter, just Mm -hmm. care for Mm -hmm. him, just be there. Don't stress about any of that. And I think that helped me a lot. It's true. Um, you know, but I think, I think for me, it was also a benefit to know what was happening medically because I think a lot of people who don't have the medical background wonder why that happened, why mm. that didn't happen, you know. Uh, so it was easier for me to accept because I understood what was happening mm-hmm. physiologically. Um, so it was it was definitely a, a mix of emotions mm-hmm. <laughs> that mm-hmm. you know I don't want to, especially as a new grad. It's yeah, you know, of it's, course you're just kind of doubting everything and making sure that everything's being done. Okay. But you know, what do I know? I had just graduated, you mm-hmm. know? Um, but it was my dad. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I wanted to make sure everything was okay, you know, but I thank God cause I was able to care for him in the way that he needed me to, mm-hmm. um, at mm-hmm. that time, you know? So that was technically my first patient sort of. <laughs> I mean, that's, I, that's interesting. Um, but wearing the different hats and the different roles, relational roles, right. Being a daughter, Mm-hmm. Yeah, that like that doctor was wise to say that because that 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 relationship really would supersede everything else everything going else. on. Absolutely. So yeah, I mean that's that I wow. I mean that's that's great that he said that and that he provided you with that perspective. So Absolutely. that's that's really helpful. I needed that at that moment for sure. 
So you're in your career. And now, I mean, if you could generalize, how many patients have you had? Mm. Thousands? Hundreds of thousands? Yeah, I mean, I see probably uh, 60 to 70 patients a week. So 19 years. So a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. I, 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 I'm not going to do that math, but we'll just say a lot. Yeah, <laughs> it's a, a lot, lot of patients, yeah. So what are some of the most interesting medical stories you have? And I know you have them. I know you have plenty. Um, we could start from the beginning, maybe the early years where you're just like, whoa, this is really happening. And then I'm sure you could go to maybe within this past week, I'm sure there's plenty. But if you can, uh, maybe one from the beginning. What was a moment in the beginning where you were like, whoa, whoa, whoa. The ones that I find the most difficult to deal with are wounds, uh, just because they can be quite gross. Mm -hmm. um, as a student early on, um, I there was a morbidly obese gentleman. I, I don't recall how, but he was bedbound pretty much. And for those of you who don't know how these ulcers are made, I mean, when there's pressure to a certain part of the body and the um the bone and the skin is being compressed and it's and the patient doesn't move around much uh or there's pressure to those areas a wound can can happen mm -hmm. uh and obviously if there's not sufficient nutrition um as well like vitamins and things like that that'll uh, delay the healing of of the wound and that's how the wounds start but this gentleman had a wound that probably half like half of my body could have gone into the wound. I've never seen anything Your body could like have that. gone into his wound? Yes. Wow. Yes. I mean, oh my gosh. mind you, he was probably about four or 500 pounds. Wow. So I know it's kind of hard to picture, but I had to question whether I was <laughs> in the right field at that moment because the smell was horrible. Oh no. It was, I, I've never since seen anything quite like that. Wow. Uh, that was pretty much an extreme case, but the the wounds are definitely uh, difficult. Also, uh, we had a patient who had uh, wounds. There can be ulcers that can develop in the legs. They're called venous stasis ulcers uh, because the circulation is not good to the legs. There's a swelling in the legs. And these ulcers happen because there's not enough circulation going to the area. So they de they're developed. And this lady came into the hospital with maggots on her legs. Maggots maggots fly larvae and i'm not good with the bugs that is not my thing so so when you see this you have to just stone face yes because i mean because you're responsible yes for you know to treat this person yes but in your mind you're just thinking oh my oh my oh my yes and then Definitely. but then you go to work because that's that's your job that's what i do right yes. so I mean, what's going through your mind in those moments? And how do you, do you find yourself having to, you know, check yourself in terms of uh, either judging the person, but you have, you're, you're here as a professional. So do you find yourself, you have to kind of, you have to check yourself? Yes, because the, these, these um, questions obviously come, you know, come to your mind, they cross your mind. Obviously, for example, the lady with the maggots, she did have, psychological problems and she had a psych history. Obviously she didn't realize how bad it was. Um, obviously proper hygiene and getting care on time would have helped her. Uh, but to see somebody be restored of that 
and get her legs back to normal mm. is what I focus on, mm-hmm. you know? So I try not to focus on that so much, obviously it crosses my mind, but you know, it was almost like, how can I help her now so that she can be okay? So we try to give her the dignity that she, you know, deserved and and take care of her so she wasn't, you know, so that so she wasn't in pain. So that's what I I focus on in that moment. How can I turn this around for this patient? How can, you know, they ended up in our hands. So how can we help them? You know, turning it around for the patient is what I try to focus on. Mm-hmm. Do you take so, it home with you? Uh sometimes I do. So my husband, John, is a paramedic, and uh, that helps just because uh, we can discuss these medical stories and vent about what we see or hear, and it does help a lot uh, because if I was married to somebody who wasn't in the medical profession, they may not even want to talk about it or understand, Um, but sometimes I do take it home, but I, I try to, you know do the best I can so it doesn't, you know, linger on or affect me. You've been able to treat, meet and treat a lot of different people. So there's that element of it. So you're talking about a a woman. Have you seen, um, what have you seen with the younger people um, that's most common or that really has stayed with you over the years? Maybe someone under 40, let's say. We'll, we'll, We'll categorize younger as, you know, under 40, like a significant medical issue. I think the issue that uh, really bothers me because I feel uh, that it's difficult to connect with. I, I try to connect with patients as best I can and develop like a rapport or relationship with them. But I think that in that age category, I think the difficult patients that I've dealt with are drug seekers. Mm. Um. Just because when they're in that cycle of seeking prescription drugs, Mm -hmm. they're blinded unless they're ready to get help. Mm. And that's very hard for me. Um, Do you you try to educate them or how do you engage with that? I try to educate them. Uh, There are certain signs that come up that it's pretty clear that that's what they want. Mm. You know, when they tell me you know, uh, I've tried X, Y, and Z, and this is the only one that works. Uh, or I take this medication three or four times a day at very high doses. So I am very direct with them. That's a red flag for you. Very red, big red flag. And uh, I tell them I am not your professional drug dealer, so (laughs) I will not be, you know, very clear way to say it. Yeah. 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 Cause you know, unfortunately that will attract more patients, you know, that are in that, uh, area mm, and um sense. and then it becomes an issue and obviously you know those things are tracked and you know DEA wise it's it's a very delicate situation and and I I tell them I will help you when you're ready to come off you know this medication or you know I explain to them somebody did you a disservice started you on this medication now you're taking you know x amount of milligrams of this medication it's it it is habit forming you need it now physically, uh, but it's an addiction. Right. And, uh, you know, I'll be more than happy to help you and get you connected with somebody that can help uh, if you're willing. Um, mm-hmm. So that's hard for me uh, just because I, you know, when they're in that blinded state, it's, 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 and I, I actually had a, a patient once uh, when I worked in Perthamboy uh, for a time that got in my face. 
uh, and I, cause I questioned, you know, again, cause you get a lot of, um, for example, I lost my prescription or mm. I, you know, somebody stole my, my medicine. Uh, this patient was telling me that, uh, he, he was taking a trip to Italy and needed his medication sooner. Um, and he got in my face and I have to say, I was scared. Like that was the only time I've ever been afraid of something happening to me or him waiting for me outside or something. Um, but that was, that was scary. Um, so. I mean, there's a ton of responsibility you have cause you prescribe. Mm -hmm. So obviously there's, you, you have to be knowledgeable, but then the responsibility of what you're giving or prescribing to the person and you know, you, you give it, they give them the prescription, but in this case, it's they already, your examples are they already had a prescription or at least claim to. Now, here you are like, well, wait a minute. Because if I do this, it might lead you to this path. If I do this, it might lead you to this path. That's, right. you know, better. One's better than the other. Right. So, you know, in that situation, are you, you're just relying on God to just guide you in wisdom? And also, obviously, your experiences have taught you a thing or two. Right. Right. I mean, now we have ways of, it was different then. This was a while ago. Now we have ways to know, you know, what's being filled. When are they due for it? You know, are they getting it too early? Um, but back then it was tricky because you, you know, you, it was based on documentation, but you know, what point do you trust what the patient's telling you, but they have a right, problem, right? right? So then now you're getting, you know, possible lies, like who do you believe? You know, it's, it's, it's tricky. So, and, and I would think too, um, in what you're saying though, it, it is, you, you're going to make a decision, right? A medical decision, right? For this person, right? And you are just going to do your absolute best, right? And hoping that, right? Because it's, it, it's tricky, it's right? Good. So, if, if you don't, I had, I had a gentleman recently who is in his mid 40s who, I guess, you know, a couple, a, a provider was onto him, like basically being on the medication and he was on it for a while because of back issues. And he withdrew from it, not realizing like what it would entail. And he went through a very difficult time on his own. So, and that didn't have to happen because whoever he was seeing could have educated him and helped him through that to try to get him off of the medication. Instead, he went through the sweats and the vomiting and the mm. stomach upset and, mm -hmm. and the jitters. And, you know, he, he was like, wow, I withdrew from a drug. And I'm like, wow. yes. And, wow. you know, and again, with that, you, you mentioned earlier, uh, do you educate them? You know, if that patient would have been properly educated, he wouldn't have had to go through that mm. because he could have been weaned off of it right, properly right. so that he wouldn't suffer. He thought he was going to die you know, from, from the withdrawal. It, it's interesting too, because of, uh, with age and it, what I observe and correct me if I'm wrong, please, is the, the tendency to think that someone is younger is healthier right? versus someone older is you know, potentially not. But I mean, from even what you're saying, I mean, it, that's almost not that it doesn't matter. I mean, that's, that's really, uh, rigid to say it like that, but I mean, anyone can suffer from pain, or from injury, or from neglect, or from obviously choices and things like that too. And I'm just hearing you say, and you're seeing all of it at any given time. Right. So where do you find your personal strength in God? And how does God work that for you when you've been treating all these people? It's challenging. Um, 
just because I, I get all different types of, um, you know, responses and from patients and, um, compliance from patients, Mm. uh, you know, knowing the knowledge and not having the other part of the relationship kind of work as a team can be very difficult mm. when you see obvious signs, when you see things that can happen um, medically and the patient doesn't see it or the patient doesn't want to accept it um, is quite challenging. So, um, you know, I think, I thank God for his discernment because sometimes, you know, I'm, and I've seen it, I've seen it with other providers who have told me, like, I have such a difficult time, you know, kind of connecting with patients. And I, I really think God helps me in that arena because I, um, that helps me kind of, you know, get closer to them and, and, and get to develop that trust and have them be a part of the relationship. So you want to work in tandem, tan, tan, I always mess with tandem with them. I do. Right. I do. As, as a matter of fact, I, most of the time I'll say to patients, you know, are you okay with that? Like, you know, would you use this? Will you take that? You know? And they'll say to me, well, you're the provider. Like, mm-hmm. and I'm like, no, but it's your body. Well, you're yeah, patient. you have to decide. Right. Right. But some people are pretty much do, I'll do whatever you say. Mm-hmm. But well, then, wait, which that's a lot of responsibility. It is. It is. It is for you. It's scary. Right. Mm. Yeah. It can be scary, but that, that, uh, in some cases is easier mm-hmm. because I know that if I get their blood pressure down and if I control their blood sugar, they're not going to have a stroke mm-hmm. or they're likely not to have a stroke mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. a heart attack or end up with renal failure. Um, so, and I, you know, so I think that the patients that are more reluctant, uh, that's, that poses other challenges. So for you being a medical professional, um, this might sound silly, but I've, I've thought this a lot. So when a doctor gets sick, how does that work? <laughs> and obviously you're, you're human, you're a person, you can suffer any illness or any injury. Like I, we were mentioning certain types of injuries before. Is it weird for you with so much knowledge? Like, do you self-diagnose instantly as soon as you see a symptom? Or is it something where you're going to defer to another doctor and their specific special expertise? How does that work for you personally? So I think uh, once I was going through PA school, I feel like I had everything in the book. Like as I was reading the chapters. Is, like, is there a name for that? There might be. I don't remember what it is, though. There probably is. I think there's a name for that. There I feel like I've is. heard of that before. Yeah. So I, I, I literally would be like, oh, my gosh, I think I have this. Or, uh, But I, I feel like uh, I do have a medical provider that I see uh, just because you, you know, you will tend to self-diagnose. I mean, most of the time if I have you know, like a sore throat or whatever, I, you know, I kind of do it myself, um, as far as, uh, taking care of myself, uh, with home remedies or, you know, uh, whatever it takes to, you know, make me feel better. But I do have a medical provider, uh, in 2000 and I think 16 or 17, I did, uh, kind of had a scary self-diagnosing, uh, scenario because I felt a lump on my throat, like on my neck, mm. uh, pretty large, um, 
lump. And uh, I proceeded to get an ultrasound. I got one of the providers in our office to to get me an ultrasound. And I ended up having not, not just one, uh, but nine nodules, uh, some of which were very big in my thyroid. Mm. So... I ended up going to see uh, a specialist, an otolaryngologist or an ENT. And he was like, wow, you're going to make me work because I had, you know, so many. And the only one I could really feel was the large one at the base of my neck. So usually what happens with uh, nodules is that it, it's very common for that gland to make them. They, they're not necessarily bad or malignant uh, or cancerous cells, but um, they usually monitor them. So that's what I did for a couple years. And uh, in March of 2018, I um, went to see him and he said to me, you know what? Two of them have changed. Mm. Uh, they've grown and they don't look good. I don't like the way they look. And he said, I want you to remove your thyroid. And I said, well, doctor, I am pregnant. And he didn't know that. I was pregnant with Ariana, my third child. And uh, he said, well, I guess we'll have to wait until after you have her. So I have to tell you, this was very uh, difficult uh, because I knew what this could entail. And I didn't want to waste my pregnancy worried about, do I have cancer? Is there something wrong? Oh, and in the interim, I did have biopsies, which were negative, but again, they're taking samples of a large nodule, but they may not take enough or, mm -hmm. you know, an area that, but obviously if they change in a short period of time, that's usually worrisome. So then from March to August 30th, which is when she was born, I, I did a lot of praying and asking God to really remove that fear from me because I didn't want to be robbed of, you know, my pregnancy and enjoying it. And I knew I couldn't really do anything about it. So it was just basically trusting, you know, God that everything was going to be okay. So I had set myself up so that I can have surgery uh, soon as I could, but because I had a C-section with her, I had to wait three months. Mm. So I had the surgery December 5th of that same year. Thankfully, nothing was cancerous. They removed the entire thyroid gland so unfortunately, I had a very rare complication, which there is a gland called parathyroid gland, which sits on top of the thyroid. We have one on either side of the gland. And when the thyroid gland is removed, they try to do their best to not perturb that gland. They try to preserve it, but it's very hard to identify the difference okay. because it's kind of like sitting on top. And they ended up damaging uh, either remove it. Basically, what they think is that they they ruined the circulation to the, the parathyroid gland. Mm. So what this means is that parathyroid gland is what produces calcium. So usually they keep you in the hospital for 24 hours to monitor to see if your calcium level is okay. But my calcium levels were very low. So the the basically the conclusion is that i make no calcium so i went from not taking any medications to having not only to take thyroid medication because obviously it's a gland that we need we can't live without it you know it it, it basically handles everything with your metabolism so i went from taking no medications to taking seven so i'm mm. on thyroid medication i have to take very very high doses of vitamin d it's a prescription strength it's calcitrol Actually, my endocrinologist says that he has never had to have somebody on two a day. So I take 
two of the vitamin D and I take four calcium 600 milligram tablets a day. So I take seven medications a day for life. So medically for me, it was very difficult because I knew something obviously went very wrong in the surgery. One of the doctors that I work with, he he um, trained in endocrinology, so he was furious. He's mm. like, that did not have to happen. You know, so um, again, but I, so it's interesting because I'm, I'm the patient, but yet I know that, right, you right. know, I know what happened medically and I know that any, anything can happen, any error can happen, but, you know, I just trust God that, you know, he's in control of it. And um, I'm thankful that I didn't have cancer and um, I just take my medication and mm-hmm. uh, and do what I have to do. The follow ups and everything is thankfully my we finally got my calcium to a level that is healthy for me. Um, I'm not sure what menopause will look like just because um, obviously as we become menopausal, then, you know, the estrogen has to do with the bones and the calcium and all that good stuff. But I trust that God's going to, you know, take care of that and. And that I'm going to, you know, be okay. But um, so, yeah, it was definitely an interesting place to be personally. Well, knowledge is weird so. because the more in, it's like you're more knowledgeable about something. It's its own curse in a way because right. you know what's happening. Right. Um, from a different angle and then experience, experiencing it is also strange. Right. So um, like for you, for example, so you, you mentioned before too, having a C-section. So you you know the anatomy of right. your body and you're thinking, are you thinking, you know, even your thyroid surgery, you know what's, ha- you can visualize almost what's happening, right? Right. Is that weird though, knowing it that? It is weird. Uh, actually, if they let me, I would have loved to have like watched the C-section just because surgery was actually one of my favorite rotations. But my my second C-section was quite scary uh, just because I I had something called uh, complete placenta previa, which is the placenta is basically right at the opening of the cervix uh, where the baby comes out from. So I had to deliver Gabriel at 37 weeks because of that, because you can basically bleed out. Mm. So during the C-section, they obviously know I was, a, you know, I'm a PA, uh, my OB and everything. So everything was fine. Uh, babies delivered. Everything is fine. They, they, you know, uh, my husband, John, said to me, Rosie, I'm going to go over to the, um, to where they're taking the baby uh, to the nursery. Are you okay? Yes, I'm fine. So one of the biggest complications with placenta previous that you bleed out. So. All of a sudden, I hear the OB saying, oh, we have some bleeding in the in the uterus. And then I start getting very dizzy, lightheaded, and feel like I'm going to pass out. I look over to mm. look at my vitals, and I cannot read because my vision is blurry. And I say to the anesthesiologist, what is my blood pressure? And she said 80 over 60. So my hemoglobin going in was 11, and it dropped to 6 within like 10 minutes. So three hours later, the surgeon, the, the OB is trying his very best to not really say much. I could tell because uh, they were just give me this, give me that, give me this. Uh, and they were doing everything in their power to stop the bleeding because the only correct, the only way to correct that is a hysterectomy. Mm. So to remove my uterus. And we knew that we weren't necessarily done having children. So 
um, it was tricky because I could tell that they were trying to avoid giving me too much information. Mm. Um, I did feel like life came back into me when they gave me two units of blood because I had lost so much blood, but I really thought that I was going to die on that table. So again, too much knowledge is not a good thing because um, at that moment, I thought about all the different things that could have happened. Uh, So, and then on top of that, you know, John was not there. And, and um, he's like, what happened? Because uh, everything was fine. And uh, three hours later, where's my wife? Uh, So that's a perfect example of feeling very unable to, to do anything, (laughs) you know, uh, I'm used to being on the side of helping and now I'm the patient. So, but they were remarkable um, during, you know, during the, the surgery and everything worked out. Okay. Thank God. But it was very scary. I'm sure it was because a the knowledge be what was actually happening right, right in that in that situation. But uh, thankfully, you're here with yes. us, and yes. you have three wonderful children. Yes, thank God. Mm-hmm. I want to ask you for you as a medical professional, when we talk about healing in a spiritual sense, and recently in Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth, we had a sermon series about healing. How does that resonate with you? And the reason I ask is because. The purpose of this podcast is to have the expertise and testimony of the people within our congregation to share their lives, their stories, you being a medical professional. So you're bringing the medical field into everything that we're talking about in this episode. So for you to hear about healing and experience healing yourself too, or to experience other people's testimonies, how does that resonate with you specifically? Uh, hearing it or hearing someone perhaps who's not a medical professional share about things of healing in a physical nature as well. Is that sometimes awkward for you or do you just, you just want to hear people's story about what God has done to them? How does that resonate with you? So knowing, knowing the Lord and knowing that he's, God is the same yesterday, today and forever. um, I know he heals. I've, I've witnessed it. I've seen it. it's it's a beautiful possibility that exists you know that that through god we can receive healing i think that it does pose an interesting um correlation with patients that know the lord mm-hmm. you know versus not know the lord um as far mm-hmm. as um the spiritual aspect of it just because um, I find it difficult sometimes to get patients to accept treatment. You know, uh, I think that the series that we just did was recently was great because I feel like God can use medicine and God can use science, you know, to to help with healing. Um, but I do come across um, kind of, resistance sometimes and it makes from, it from who from, from the patients from which which you, you mentioned two different types of patients before which, so which one are mostly you christian about? patients oh christian patients yeah okay christian patients um and and that's always i always ask god to really help me uh just because you know and i'll tell them you know i know that god can i'm a believer myself but it's tricky because i, I sometimes i i feel like it it, it becomes a barrier because hmm. they're not even willing to accept what is 
you know, there, like what's on paper, you know, what a, a CAT scan result shows or an MRI result shows or blood work shows. Um, well, what do they say to you? You know, I've had patients tell me I rebuke that, mm. you know, I'm not a diabetic. And I'm like, oh, actually, your numbers show that you are, you mm. know, um, or checking somebody's blood pressure and their blood pressure is 210 over 110. And they're like, but I feel fine. Mm-hmm. And I'm mm-hmm. like, yeah. you know, or I know that God's going to heal me. Um, so it's it's it makes it a little difficult uh, just because, you know, I, I I want to give them their space to be able to, you know, to decide and to pray. But from a medical standpoint, you know, those are scary numbers. You know, those are numbers that can become complications later. And um, so that that makes it very challenging. You see it in in the sense that some people in in different churches have different views on certain things. We know that, obviously. You see people as being distrustful of you as a medical professional, even though you are in the faith, even though you are in Christ, do people see the medical apparatus that you're a part of as, you know, that's, I guess, uh, they have an antagonistic feeling towards that. And you're just the one that's actually engaging with them and talking to them. I do feel that that has happened to me, uh, not in every you know, situation, but it has happened where I feel like, you know, do they not trust me? I have to almost, uh, just kind of regroup and say, mm-hmm. Lord, help me, like, mm-hmm. give me the words to be able to like, reach this <laughs> so you're, you're saying, Lord, help me. They're saying, Lord, help me. Exactly. And you're trying to, you're trying to help them. Exactly. Um, I, I, I was very, when I heard Samantha's uh, podcast, uh, you know, as a counselor, she, you know, she shared, you know, I've, I've seen lives change. I've seen people turn around. I've seen people get functional, you know, and they're Christians. Like it, it, there's nothing wrong with taking something during certain seasons or, or times where, where it's, you know, needed. And, and I've had patients that have done well on counseling alone and have not needed it. It's not like, you know, a medication is the answer to every situation, but, you know, finding the, using my medical knowledge and at the same time that discernment Mm -hmm. to know what's right or, or what's not going to, pull a patient away or what's Mm -hmm. not going to turn the patient off or are they going to think I'm trying to push something on them, you know? So that definitely takes, um, it, it, you know, takes that, that discernment, that spiritual part. I feel like it helps me, you know, with my day to day, there's no doubt about it. Now you're able to also witness to people as well, I'm sure. Uh, and I'm sure you do it just through your relationship building. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that spiritual aspect is what I enjoy the most. Honestly, I have experienced so many things. I mean, I've, I've from anything from convincing somebody not to have an abortion, you know, because their child was told that they had spina bifida. Um, and I'll never forget this. I mean, she, she, I, you know, I ended up moving from that practice and I saw her in the community and she said to me, you know, my son was healthy my son was fine. My son grew up to be a normal child. You know, thank you for convincing me, you know, Mm. even, even, even like a situation like that. Um, you know, so that, that spiritual aspect is, is huge. I, I thank God for the opportunities. I mean, sometimes, you know, the girls 
at the office, you're like, oh, you talk too much or you, you know, you're in there with them too long. But I mean, there are so many times that I have these amazing encounters with patients, you know, or I end up talking to them about the Lord or, you know, there's so many that are coming in with physical ailments that it ends up being more emotional, more, you know, psychological, more pain, more loneliness, mm-hmm. you know, and being able to provide that hope, you know, in God, in Christ, like that's, that's huge. Huge. Rosie, are you ready for the lightning round? Yes. Yes. Okay. So this is a simple one. We're just going to kind of go straight through with this. What is a medical-based or medical-themed TV show, scene, or full film that is really good, accurate in terms of the medical world? And what is one that is awful and not accurate in the medical world? So I think ER was um, pretty much as close as you can get to real. Um, I mean, I know that there's newer ones. Like I've seen a couple episodes of like House and, uh, but and they're 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 good. I mean, I, I like I like the ER one because it's it just seems more calm and subdued and not so much as like a drama. Uh, the kind drama, of thing. yeah, right. Yeah. And over over, so some shows overdo it, overdo it. And you're like, yeah. oh my goodness, like, like, that's like, not how real. could you have? That's not real life. Exactly, exactly. Um, and then uh, something like Grey's Anatomy is just interesting, like storyline, but it's mostly like romance and you know, like the day to day type of thing. But uh, from a medical standpoint, I feel like ER was you know more more realistic it's because of the, the stories medical, the or just story. or the science the, the or science both. or both yeah yeah both, basically both um the science and and the stories is there something a show a scene that pops in your mind that you've seen and you're just thinking no what or just that's so whack don't what i mean i can tell you this as a teacher watching certain movies where there's a either it's education or something. There's times where I look at this like, what? No, what? Like who would, who would, what, what city is this in? <laughs> well, sometimes some, some, you know, scenes that uh, like they show the patient like awake and like, they would be like, they shouldn't be awake while that's happening. You know, I'm like, ah, uh, that doesn't look right. So, you know, those are the ones that are like, uh, they're not as, as fun to watch like medically because it just seems so exaggerated, right? I've seen a few uh, YouTube videos where someone picks apart a certain scene and they just go, lawsuit, lawsuit. That's so funny. Lawsuit. Law- your license is gone right there. <laughs> <laughs> I almost prefer, per, like, prefer something like Pimple Popper. I don't know if you've seen that, but uh, I love that one. Cause I, Oh, you like the, yeah, you like Dr. I Pimple do. Popper? I, Shout yeah, out to Dr. I Pimple like, Popper. I like, cause that's definitely realistic and I, I enjoy uh, surgery and I don't get to do that so much. So just to see uh, what comes out of these lumps and bumps, it's pretty cool. I, I saw one where the dude passed out. Oh yeah. And I, I mean, I, I don't know what I'm really watching to be honest with you. I, he, <laughs> <laughs> they, they had um i don't know if this is medically sound but they took a um i think an exacto knife and they like poured out al- rubbing alcohol on it i don't know if this is how this works and uh, or or they used like a candle i don't know whatever i've seen that in movies too and they they did it i don't know why they filmed it i mean it's gross and the dude legit passed, passed out. out wow <laughs> Wow. and i thought to myself Ooh, that can't be good medically no. speaking <laughs> he passed out from a I don't know. I don't know what qualifies. I don't know where the boundary is between like a pimple and cyst versus 
I don't know what else is out there, but my goodness. Well, there's there's all types. I mean, you can have like cysts that are like, you know, accumulate more than one accumulate in one spot. You know, um, it's it's yeah, some of them can be there's lipomas, which are like fatty masses, and those can be really big. Um, you could you could remove them yourself or you shouldn't do that. No, 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 no. Don't do that. No, no, no. Don't do that at home. No. You know Seek people professional do care. But you know people do. Oh, yeah, yeah. The YouTube <laughs> videos you watch. <laughs> I, I've only seen a couple because I, I can only see one. And after that one, I'm just thinking to You're myself, done. like, I, I can't watch the rest. I mean, there's some people who watch it. They enjoy it. Yeah. I get you. I get you. Well, there, there's the lightning round for you. So, Rosie, we're going to end our time. And we like to end it like this. How can we pray for you? So I think um, just for continued discernment, you know, from God to help me to, to, you know, guide patients and, you know, to be able to connect with them um, for safety and, you know, protection, especially now um, with all this, you know, that we're dealing with, with the pandemic um, and also um to help to, for me to give the right words that God will provide the right words for patients to be able to, that, to comfort them. Because I feel like fear has unleashed in a way, uh, in patients that don't know the Lord in mm. a way that I've never seen before. Mm. Um, you know, I've seen, I've seen patients, um, that are Christians dealing with fear. Mm. Uh, I mean, I've dealt, dealt with fear during this pandemic. So just for that continued, um, you know, discernment and, and, uh, you know, compassion and, and so that I can continue doing his work. There it is. Rosie, thank you so much. Um, I'm really thankful for you personally. I'm also thankful that you shared your story here for everyone to hear, uh, people who have known you for a long time, probably going to learn some new things and people who are just meeting you or going to meet you through this. They're going to learn a lot about you too. And I appreciate you. I love you. You're great. You're a great person and just great for our community, our church community and the community at large. I've seen that many times. So thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. Thank you. Well, thank you everyone for listening to the first season of the CF Stories podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you learned a lot. Like we always say, we have so many different professionals and so many different stories in our congregation that we want to share with you. We pray that you've been blessed. We pray that you've been helped in all this. We pray that these stories have educated and and have been really uplifting to you. And if you have any suggestions of things you want to hear, I'm sure we can find someone within our network to tell you their story for all their professional and personal expertise on different subjects. Just reach out to us. We're on CF of Elizabeth on all our social media platforms, Instagram, Facebook, and please just send your suggestions to us. We hope you've enjoyed these stories. We hope they have built you up. We hope that they have been educational. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you for season two coming in January 2022. We'll see you then. Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth is a Christian community whose mission is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. You can learn all about us by visiting cfofelizabeth.com. We meet each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, as well as at various times throughout the week. 
You can also join us live online every week by visiting cfofelizabeth.live. We hope you enjoyed this week's story. Make sure you subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher so you never miss an episode. See you next time.